0: It's been a while, uh, but I'm glad to be back here. I guess I can't say in the pulpit because this is just a stand. But I'm excited to be back talking to you guys. And uh, I have to say I super enjoy the Czech Republic. Uh, I sent out a report, but you guys keep asking me to tell you stories. So I'm just going to tell you one thing about the Czech Republic that kind of ties into my lesson. But mostly it was just something that was really impressive to me. So as I said, uh, it's a pretty small Country, It's like the size of our state of Georgia, and uh, there are like 40, maybe 45 Christians in the whole country, but the people there are so committed, and they have so many things that they're doing, uh, I met a guy there who is building this website, where on one side of the screen, it's got the Bible. And on the other side, it's like pictures and maps and stuff. And I was like, that's super cool. And he's just like doing this in his free time. Like, it's not his job. He's just like, this is the kind of thing he enjoys. Uh, I met another guy who, uh, he asked Bill. Bill was the guy that, that invited us over there. And he, when he was talking to Bill, he's like, Bill, could you help me understand the difference between uh right? and Dunn and Sanders' view on the new perspective on Paul, which probably doesn't mean a lot to you, but I'm just letting move let you know. That's a, it's a, that's a difficult question to answer. And this guy was like, he, he, you could tell he was really into it, really deep studying the word. He's also not a preacher. He has a PhD in, uh, he builds bridges. Uh, that's his job. And I met another guy. And this dude is a full-time lawyer, and he homeschools his kids because his wife doesn't speak Czech and their teaching has to be in Czech. And also, he's just writing a commentary on acts. Like These people are busy. And I was like, this is, I was super impressed. Uh, So now now you know some more about the Czech Republic. The people there are are crazy committed, and I I love that about them. It was really inspiring. Uh, And so take that idea. And uh, I want to ask you guys, have you ever felt that your contributions were small? And insignificant. I feel this way a lot. And if that is a feeling that you have, then this sermon is for you. Have you ever felt like maybe the people around you, this congregation, it's just it's too small to really make a change in the world? Or you felt like you, you've been trying with evangelism efforts, but just you, nothing's happening, that all of your contributions are just so small? If you've ever felt that way, then put your listening ears on, because we're going to be in Haggai 2 today. And this is a lesson about that feeling. So Haggai 2, uh, we were in Haggai 1 like a month ago, and now we're finishing the book of Haggai. And uh, in Haggai 1, if you'll recall, God told them to, well, he wanted them to build a temple when they came back from exile, but they didn't do that. And so God... Uh, curse their field, and uh, all of these covenant uh, curses from Leviticus and Deuteronomy were happening to them. And he says, consider your ways. And so they saw what was happening. They saw the word of God. They heard Haggai, and they said, all right. So they got busy. They got to work building the temple. Now about a month has passed since they've started building the temple, and we find here The story continues as we pick up in Haggai chapter 2. We'll read the first five verses. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? What we find as we uh, cut down on a a lot of the words here, because God just repeats the same thing to lots of different people. He says, look, this temple that you guys have started is, uh, well, it's small and insignificant. Like, let's be honest here. The old temple, Solomon's temple, it was crazy. There were like gold lions and 120 gold pomegranates, which I don't even know what you do with that, but they were there. There, The old temple, Solomon's temple, was uh, bordering on ostentatious, like crazy fancy. And this temple is nothing like that. It says in Ezra 3 that when the older people saw this temple, the foundation that was laid, that they were weeping because it was just so insignificant. And that's going to be our key word for today, insignificant. And yet God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just insult their temple and be like, okay, cool. He continues on. He says, I am with you at the end of verse four, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. So, What God says is, he says, look, your temple is small. Your temple is unimpressive. People are going to look at it. They're going to laugh. You're going to cry. It's small. But that doesn't have to matter. Because here's here's the important information. I am with you according to the covenant that I made with you in Egypt. And I think as we pull on this Egypt thread a little bit, we are going to find the key that unravels this whole chapter and a powerful message to us today. So he says, I am with you according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. Well, let's recall back to Egypt. So in Egypt, Israel, the Israelites are slaves. They're uh, under the, the mighty hand of, of Pharaoh. They can't get out. They're under his thumb and they cry out to God because they say, we're in trouble We cannot get ourselves out. We need help. So they cry out to God to rescue them. And God does. He sends plague after plague, 10 plagues. He says, let my people go through the the mouth of of Moses and Aaron, speaking to Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, after 10 plagues, it works. And God's people get to leave out of Egypt. And when they do, They plunder the Egyptians. They take their gold and their silver because the Egyptians, they were afraid of the Israelites and they're giving them their stuff. They're saying, get out of here, leave our land. We don't want you anymore. But let me ask you a sec, this question. The people of Israel, they left Egypt and the Egyptians were afraid of the Israelites, but were they afraid of the Israelites or were they afraid of God? Was it the Israelites who left Egypt or was it God whose hand led them out of Egypt. Obviously, we understand that it's God. And then they get into the wilderness, and then they start freaking out because the Egyptians are chasing them. And then God opens the Red Sea, which is just one of the coolest stories in the whole Bible to me. Uh, opens the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land, and then the Egyptians try and chase them down, and they pfft, God shuts the waters. Egyptians die. Uh, the horse and the rider are thrown into the sea, to use uh, wording from... Moses' song there. But who does that? It was God. It was always God. And so I want you to think about the Exodus with me. God led the people out. God made them mighty. God plundered the Egyptians. God threw the horse and rider in the sea. And yes, the the Israelites won, but it didn't matter if there were 600,000 or six of them because the only thing that mattered was that God's presence was with them. And so as we see back in verse verses four and five, I am with you, declares the Lord, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. This is a powerful message from God because he says, just like what happened in Egypt, just like you guys it didn't matter how big you were. It didn't matter anything about you because I'm God. I'm the one who's doing the heavy lifting around here. I am with you. And if God is with them, then they don't need to worry about how small their temple is because God is going to make it happen. And furthermore, we see all of these, all through the history of the Bible, people making really tiny uh, additions to God's work. Uh, Tiny, they don't do much, just like this temple that's kind of insignificant. Uh, Think, for example, about the, the 70 elders that are with Moses. They get to go up on the mountain and be in the presence of God and eat food in his presence. Like, the most amazing reward possible is to be in the presence of God. But what did they do? We don't know. No one ever tells us anything that they did in the Bible. Now, I'm not saying that they were insignificant, but I'm saying that they were not significant enough to make it on the pages of the Bible as in terms of anything that they did. But they got to see the face of God. And so I think we need to find encouragement in this because we can hear stories about people doing crazy things. We can hear stories and, and read about people like Paul who seem to be you know, converting the whole world. And we're like... Who am I? Like, I'm a nobody. I'm not doing anything. I'm not contributing anything to God's work. I'm trying, but it's just so infinitesimally small. I don't matter. But the story of Egypt and the story of Haggai remind us that, yeah, you might be insignificant, but that doesn't matter because God doesn't call us to be significant. He calls us to serve him. He calls us to help in our tiny little ways to make something grand. And so as we read on, God says, I'm with you according to the covenant, verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. He says, your temple is small. It looks like nothing in your eyes, but just wait. Because just like God shook the earth at Sinai, changed the whole game, changed the whole world, plundered the Egyptians, so also, yet once more, God will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land and all the treasures of all the nations will come into this house. This tiny, insignificant contribution that they made, God is going to make it amazing. God is going to transform the world. And so here we get our one and only lessons, one point sermon today, and I will continue expounding on it. God turns our shacks into cathedrals. Our tiny little contributions, the few stones that we add to this large story of God's work in the world. God takes our little contributions and he makes them incredible. That from this tiny temple, God will shake The earth. God will plunder the world. God will bring all nations into submission because of the things that God is doing with the tiny stuff that we are bringing to Him. And the story continues uh, in verse 20, this, this Egypt theme, the same thing. Uh, I'm just going for to, for today's purposes, skip right over verses 10 through 19. Uh, I'll write an article about it. I've already got one uh, drafted. Uh, basically, it, it picks up theme from the first chapter. It uh, talks about the stickiness of sin. And again, at the end, God blesses the people. But verse 20, that's where I want to go. says, The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one of them by the sword of his brothers. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a great signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Obviously, we're going to see parallels here. We've got shaking the earth. We've got plundering the nations. We've got bringing the nations into submission. But each place we have an outcome of this plundering and shaking. In the first one, in verse 9, we find that the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, that God is going to take their small contributions and make them amazing because God is going to use their work. But this time, we find the outcome in verse 23, that on that day, the Lord of hosts will make Zerubbabel like a signet ring, for God has chosen him. Now, what does this mean? I've got, I've got questions, okay? So first of all, um, what does it mean that Zerubbabel is going to be a signet ring? And two, Are we talking about Zerubbabel here, or someone that Zerubbabel represents? Those are great questions. So first one, (laughs) Um, what's a signet ring? Obviously, we know that uh, they sign their letters with a signet ring, you know, we read like that in like the story of Daniel, for example. But a signet ring is something that's really significant. It's like your ID. And yes, you can seal letters with it, but you use it for a lot of other things. uh, that's why when Judah gets his signet ring taken by uh, by Tamar, it's like a, it's a big deal. Uh, so this is something that's really significant. It's something that's very personal. You would often wear it on a chain around your neck. So when God says Zerubbabel is going to be a signet ring, what that means is that Zerubbabel is going to be a representative of God, uh, a, a to image God in this earth, like. We see a uh, man is made in God's image. And also that he's going to be somewhere very personal, that he's going to be close to God. Okay, so Zerubbabel is going to be a signet ring. But Zerubbabel or someone that Zerubbabel represents? Well, I think probably the latter is more likely. Zerubbabel, of course, is a descendant of David. So Zerubbabel is representative of the Davidic line and ultimately uh, Christ as king. And I think that what this prophecy is telling us Is that Jesus is going to come. He's going to be the one that shakes the whole world. He's going to be the one that fulfills this. He is going to be the one that is at the end of this long line. Of what God has been doing. And so we see here that God has not not forgotten his promises. God has not forgotten the Davidic covenant. That this is going to continue on. And God is going to do that with Zerubbabel. God is going to do that with all of these small people that make up this story. That God is going to take their contributions and shake the earth. And I think that is incredibly encouraging to us. Because we can get discouraged, like I said, by the small things that we're doing. By looking around and saying, ah, well, what am I even doing? Am I, am I, really, am I really helping here? Or could I, am I just taking up space? And so I want to now take this into a, a personal realm for us. When we, can, when we get discouraged like this, when we get concerned that we're not contributing, that we're not significant, what do we do? How do, how do we feel? Well, we got to hear this message. This message that God turns our shacks into cathedrals, that God takes our little tiny contributions, a thousand tiny little rocks that make a temple and a million million little deeds that make up God's plan working out through the world. We got to see this principle. We got to see that God's sovereignty overcomes all of our little tiny things and takes them and makes them significant because it's God. God is the one doing it. I want to show that to you in two different places. First, I want to show this to you in the realm of evangelism. So Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Paul says, look, I, I planted this seed, and Apollos came by and he watered it. But guess what? We aren't anything. The only thing that matters here is God. A similar parable in the book of Mark where there's a farmer, and he plants a seed, and it says that it, it, he goes to sleep, and it grows, and he doesn't know how it grows, and I, still today, I mean, we, we plant seeds, and we know a lot more about science, but it's like, it's kind of mystical, this process that takes a seed and makes it into a jalapeno plant, like, we, we don't understand But we have these tiny little contributions and God takes them and makes them fruitful. God takes them and makes them into something. So in the same way, we can go out there in the world and we can feel this urgency like we need to be some sort of Paul that's just transforming the whole world. But even Paul says that all he did is plant seeds. All he did is is do these tiny little things and that God is the one who took it and turned it into something. That we're just here to do tiny little things. And I've said, I've told this story, I know, a, a bunch of times. But, like, I, I, I used to do cold evangelism in the park, and it was so frustrating because I've talked to dozens and dozens of people, and no one ever called me back. No one, Like, I never got any follow-up on it, and it was so frustrating because I was like, what am I even doing here? Like, am I just, like, wasting my time? And, and no, because we see here that our job is not to transform the world. Our job is just to plant seeds. Our job is just to do small Humble, insignificant things. And it's important that we do them. It's important that they build the temple. Uh, it's important that we go out and spread the word. But we don't have to transform the world by our own actions. That's God's job. Our job is just to plant seeds. I'll show you another example. Leviticus 26 says, Five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall chase 10,000, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. Uh, You might wonder where I'm going with this. So when I was, uh, let's say, like seven, we moved to Chattanooga. And when we moved to Chattanooga, the congregation I was at was about this size, maybe like 120. And by the time I graduated from high school, 11 years later, we were like half that size. And this was frustrating on a a number of reasons one uh, is like it didn't happen because there was a split or anything it just like we just started dwindling and people were leaving and no one was coming and it was really discouraging because as a teenager I wanted to to have people to know I wanted us to be this this really impressive force in the world I wanted there to be more of us I wanted us to have a big church that we were doing so much and we just weren't and I was so frustrated And we can get that way. We can look around and we can say, I mean, there's so few of us. I mean, there's like a a whole big city out there, a whole big world. And there's just this small remnant of us. And what are we going to do? And we can get fixated on this. We We can start struggling with this idea that we're too small, we're too insignificant. And again, Haggai reminds us that it doesn't matter, that we are insignificant, but that's okay. That we might be that five, but that with God, we can chase a hundred. We might be a hundred, but with God, we can chase 10,000. That God is the, God's the secret. That we're just here to play our small part. And that God in our midst, that's the only thing that matters. And so we got to, we got to take this message. We got to internalize it because there's a lot of discouragement in thinking that we don't matter. But when we realize that it's God's job to change the world, it's God's job to control things, it's God's job to, to bring people's hearts to him, it's the Holy Spirit, it's, but it's not us, <laughs> we're just here to help. We're here to do small things. We're here to build shacks that God can turn in to cathedrals. So I hope that you can take this message, remember it, mull it over, let it be a part of the way you live so that you can see the glory of God, the power of God at play in the world today. Thank you so much. We'll not be dismissed to class.